Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Today, I'm really excited. We are going to be recording an episode on Harley Quinn, the character and the different roles she has played in all sorts of different media. Uh, unfortunately, Jacob is not able to join us today. He's taking a little break. Um, hopefully, we'll have him back soon. But in the meantime, we are joined by a frequent guest and uh, someone whose opinions I have always really greatly enjoyed and often challenged me in some good ways, Jessica Plummer. Jess, how are you doing today? Hi. I'm good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, for our listeners who haven't uh, heard some of your back episodes, um, can you, can you uh, want to say just a, minute, a word or two about sort of where you come from on these questions and uh, sort of what you're bringing? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm just a big superhero nerd. Um, I've been <laughs> reading comics. Well, I've been reading comics my whole life, um, but I've been especially reading superhero comics, primarily DC, for about 15 years. Um, and I honestly wouldn't say I'm a huge Batman fan or a huge Harley Quinn fan, uh-huh. but I I still feel very protective of her. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily want to read her comics, but if you step to her, we're going to fight. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to talk about her. Cool, cool. Uh, I wanted to say a quick word that um, we're recording this on November 5th on Guy Fawkes Day. And uh, uh, on the uh, Twitter for this account, Superhero Ethics, I wound up doing a live tweet of the V for Vendetta movie, uh, including a lot of discussion of some of the ethical questions that comes up. So uh, whenever you're listening to this, please check that out. I think there'll be a lot of good discussion to be had there. But diving into today's topic, um, and I will admit to our listeners that we're going to be rushing a little bit today, because as Jessica has reminded me, tonight is also when the live showing of The Little Mermaid is on. Um, with, among other things, Queen Latifah as Ursula. So we're hoping to get out of here in time to see all that. Um, but let me start with this, because Jessica, I think you were the one who suggested Harley. Um, what for you makes the, uh, um, makes her and, and the way her story has been told an interesting topic to dive into? So I w- I've actually been thinking about Harley a lot lately, and I, um, I write for bookriot.com, and I actually literally yesterday just submitted an article that I've been working on for some time um, about her, which will probably be up by the time this episode goes up. But, um, I noticed recently that she's, like I said, I'm not a huge Harley Quinn fan. Like I don't go out of my way to find stuff with her in it, but I noticed recently she's actually really omnipresent. When I started to look into it, I realized she can actually go toe-to-toe with Batman for most appearances per month in DC Comics, which yeah. is absolutely insane to me. Um, she far outnumbers Wonder Woman in appearances. Um, like, this was not the case 10 years ago, even five years ago, not so much. Um, and... Those appearances are kind of all over the map. Um, I just finished reading Breaking Glass, which is the new YA graphic novel that came out in September um, by uh, Mariko Tamaki and Steve Pooh, and it's fantastic, but it's, it's you know, an age-appropriate YA novel, and then you have these really, really dark books coming out of Black Label, and I'm just right now really fascinated by Harley and how omnipresent she is how completely ubiquitous she is Mm -hmm. um and how different all these different versions of her are and how different the uh target audiences for them are and whether that 
is something that DC can honestly ethically do or if they're being kind of gross? Yeah, I, I think there's some really good questions there. I know certainly in, in just looking at the evolution of the character from um, her origins in the Batman the Animated Series and, and tracing how much she's changed. And here I'm just talking about on screen, but going into the video game portrayal and then in the recent movies. And I know just adding to that ubiquitousness, she both has a TV series coming out quite soon on DC Online, on DC, the DC Universe Streaming Network, whatever that's called, as well as I the think movie. that's what it's called, DC yeah. Universe. Perfect. Um, as well as the the movie that's coming out once again with Margot Robbie um, in 2020, which I, I believe is Birds of Prey. Um, it is, but the subtitle is "And the Fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn," or like "One Miss Harley Quinn." It's like a really long subtitle, but her name is in the subtitle. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it is a a girl gang movie, but with her very much as the lead and as the star. Um, so can we start with, and I, um, you probably are going to know this better than I, can you give just kind of like a brief overview of tracing that history and that evolution? Because I think, especially I think today, a lot of people, especially if they're more casual, their first introduction to the character may have been Suicide Squad, or may have been actually for quite a lot of people, the um, Arkham Asylum video games. Um, and obviously her, her history goes back further than that to the animated series. Um, and her, her character and especially her outfits have changed quite dramatically in that time. Can you kind of just sketch that out a little bit, what that evolution's been like, and, and especially fill that in as well from the comic side, for those of us who don't know that as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, she, like you said, she debuted in uh, the Batman animated series from the 90s. So I think about 2000, or 2000, 1992. Um, and she at first was just sort of a, a comic relief sidekick for the Joker. Like you just needed to have hench people around, and she was one of them. Um, but she was really popular. She had this great design by Bruce Tim. She had a wonderful voice by Arlene Sorkin. Um, and I, I, this is sort of a, a, not pet peeve of mine, but like an ax that I like to grind that, um, characters who first appear in animation really should get their voice actors as part of like credited as a co-creator, because without that voice, yeah. We would not have the Harley we have today. Like, she would be forgotten. It's very um, true. So in 1994, DC put out a special edition comic called Mad Love, which was by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, who were the creators of the animated series. So it was completely in that style, in that continuity. And it tells Harley's origin, which is that she was a psychiatrist uh, named Harleen Quinzel, which is a real name that people can definitely have, um, who uh, got a job at Arkham Asylum because she wanted to be assigned to the Joker so that she could write a tell-all book about him and make millions. But instead, he manipulated her into falling in love with him and drove her insane. Yeah. Um, and she broke him out of Arkham came up with her own supervillain identity and her own costume. And that's how she sort of became a supervillain. Um, but Mad Love is also very famous because it ends with, she basically almost kills Batman. The Joker is furious that she did a better job than he did. So he beats the crap out of her, throws her out a window. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the comic, she's in the hospital and a nurse is like, well, I hope you see like how stupid you've been falling in love with somebody like that. And she says, yeah, he hit me. And then she sees that he's left her flowers. And she says, 
and it felt like a kiss, which he hit me and it felt like a kiss is a girl group song from the 60s um, that actually was not popular because people were horrified by it. Courtney Um, Love then covered it, didn't she? I think so, yeah. And the, the, so it was actually, I was, I fell down this rabbit hole of doing the research into Harley Quinn and then doing the research into this song. So it's by Carol King and uh, Jerry Goffin, who wrote, you know, tons of these girl group songs before Carol King became sort of the Earth Mother Carol King that we all mm-hmm. know and love. Um, and they came up with this because their babysitter showed up to work and she had a black eye. Oh, um, their babysitter was little Eva who recorded the original locomotion. Um, and they were like, why are you dating a guy who hits you? And she said specific, like that was a direct quote. She said, he hits me and it feels like a kiss. And they were so horrified by that, that they wrote this really disturbing song that was meant to highlight that it was disturbing. It wasn't meant to glorify abuse. And I think the fact that this line is something a real person actually said mm-hmm. kind of not intentionally on anybody's part, but it really goes to show like why Harley connected with people right from the beginning, because yeah. there's something about her, even though she was a cartoon, a literal cartoon character, and she's always been a very cartoonish cartoon character. There's something about her that is very relatable and human in this dark way that is really hard to grapple with well and that story is so interesting i i did not know those details because in some ways it's kind of uh a version of of what happens with a harley quinn character herself in that you know as my understanding and again i hope you get to uh when i stop interrupting you you'll get to keep filling us in (laughs) but that to some extent you know the at least my memory of some of the original iterations of the character in the animated series is it is very clear that this her relationship with Joker is a horrible one and that her getting free of that is a good thing, which has evolved to the the current day, and I, I, the Suicide Squad movie, and we'll definitely talk about this more later, but the era of, um, which, which may not be coming to a close, but who knows, of the Joker and Harley being presented as this like fantastic, dark, kinky romance, um, and then the, the two of them often being held up as relationship goals. Um, so, so just knowing again that, that, that version of, you know, that this comes from a very dark place, that song comes from a very dark place, even though it got them, you know, kind of very misunderstood, it, it seems like an interesting mirror for what's happened with the Harley character herself. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I ho- would hope that that portrayal of Joker and Harley as like any kind of love story is something that is going away but i'm not confident that it is yeah um but just to to be a little more a little less verbose than i have been and answer the rest of your original question um harley was so popular that uh in 1999 she was folded into the regular dc universe with you know the same backstory she was basically the same character in the same costume um and she was just sort of a regular Batman villain, mostly hanging out with the Joker for um, probably about a little less than a decade. Um, she was increasingly paired up with uh, Poison Ivy and often uh, Catwoman as well, especially in Gotham City Sirens. Um, and then with the 2011 Rebirth, um, sorry, not Rebirth, uh, New 52, 
she became a member of the Suicide Squad, which she had not historically really been affiliated with before. And it's a good, like, it makes total sense. It's a good match because Harley had always been a sympathetic villain who really, like, it was very clear that she could do good things and could be portrayed with a heart of gold um, in the right story. So she's a great fit for this series, which is about, you know, villains doing good in unpredictable and violent ways like right it makes sense um but at that point i mean first of all the new 52 was a mismanaged disaster all around um and also as you mentioned she had started appearing in video games especially the arkham asylum ones and she was getting more and more popular there and they had changed up her costume to be a lot more revealing right so Starting with the New 52, she dropped her classic uh, red and black Harlequin costume and started wearing just like the skimpiest things that they could possibly draw her in. And that hasn't really changed. Like she doesn't really have an official costume anymore. She just kind of wears whatever the artist feels like drawing her in, which can, I mean, that it depends on the artist, how well that comes off. Um But from that point in 2011, when she joined the Suicide Squad, it's just been like this exponential growth of her appearances and her popularity. Um, uh, So apparently in uh, 2016, when DC did Rebirth, her Rebirth number one shipped more copies than any other Rebirth comic. Wow. Which is insane to me. Like, it, it sold like almost, it was something like, I think it, I want to say it was like 3,000 or sorry, uh, 360,000. And the next closest was a Batman comic at like 290,000. Like that, she blew him out of the water. Yeah. Um, and DC has increasingly been putting out mini series about her and spinoffs about her and one shots about her. Um, and just in October, she headlined five different comics in one month. Yeah. Which again, only Batman and Superman ever do that, or have ever done that. That's so interesting. And I, just as, as one more data point, I, I did some uh, some asking of my friends in different venues uh, about her character. And one thing I, I heard is that uh, I have a number of friends in the co- in various cosplays communities, people who go to uh, you know do do either photo shoots or events dressed up as different characters from comic books or video games or the like. Um, and a number of them uh, attend you know cons on a fairly regular basis. And something I heard across the board was that it's now gotten to the point where if they look at a room of cosplayers and don't see at least double the number of Harleys as any other costume, they're amazed. Because um, yeah. it's, it's just kind of one more place where it's become such a ubiquitous thing. And again, where it's become that, that look especially. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially because you don't have to figure out a way to sew or purchase that, you know, Harlequin costume anymore you can just cobble together something that sort of resembles a look she's worn in the comics or the movie look or just whatever you want to do which like I have I think that that's great that this costume is so accessible um but yeah DC has also stated that they have like a thing about Harley on their website and they're like she's the most popular Halloween costume but that's like the whole sentence and I'm like in the world what well I don't know what that means right but Certainly, it's true that she is an incredibly popular Halloween costume and an incredibly popular 
cosplay costume. Yeah. What What do you think is uh, the reason for that that explosion in the character more recently? Um, I'm I'm guessing part certainly when I in in my kind of just more casual understanding of it, the images that I see of Harley, um, you know, in memes or in other sort of formats on social media, it's it's always the Margot Robbie portrayal. Um, and and certainly the, the the cosplay and stuff that I see, it's almost, it's very often a, a try to copy of that particular portrayal. Um, what do you? How much of a role do you think that that the Suicide Squad movie had in that explosion? Um, certainly, it seems like that was a big part of bringing her to the a much wider uh, appeal. Or do you think there's other reasons why um, the the characters really sort of had this exponential growth that you're talking about? Yeah, no, I think that's a huge part of it. Um, it did. I do think it started before that, and I think I mean that's part of why the character was in the movie at all. Although, I mean, the movie also has like uh, Captain Boomerang and yeah. Enchantress. So I'm not, I'm not saying you have to be like an A lister to get into a DC <laughs> movie because you for sure do not. Certainly, um, the 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 um, what's it's not Killer Croc. No, it, it is Killer Croc, right? He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. His Halloween costume has not spiked in popularity. No, it's weird. You don't see tons of Killer Crocs around. <laughs> and um, yeah, actually, my my thing with the Suicide Squad was always the Joker shouldn't be there because it shouldn't be any A listers. It should be Z listers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the movie is a huge part of it because the fact of the matter is the the comic book reading population is a tiny percentage of the movie-going population. You might sell 20,000 copies of a comic book and call it a great month for sales, and then the movie turns around and makes, you know, half a billion dollars in a weekend. Like, the, it's just completely... The scales are completely different. And, like, I don't think anybody thinks that Suicide Squad was a good movie. I will be honest. I have not seen it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know anybody who is like, what a good movie. I know multiple people who are like, what a bad movie. But they have worn the Harley Quinn costume anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think I think part of it is because even though it's not, from what I understand... She doesn't really have a storyline that is necessarily to be celebrated in that movie. Margot Robbie is an amazing actress and she's a really, um, there's something very likable and charismatic about her. So I think people are drawn to the roles that she plays. Um, on, and when you dress up in a costume, you want to look good. You want to look cute. You want to look sexy. Like this is a, this is yeah. a normal thing. Like I feel that feeling when I put on a costume too. And this is a costume that allows you to do that. So I completely get that. Um, it's also great if you're looking for a couple's costume. I am not saying that Joker <laughs> and Harley are relationship goals by any means, but they are easy costumes to do for a couple and they're recognizable. So if you're going to con with someone, a boyfriend, a friend, uh, anybody, and you want to do matched costumes, because going with someone whose costume matches yours is always better, because people get twice as excited. Yeah. Then it totally makes sense. But I also think that a big part of it is that in 2013, so before the movie, um, Amanda Connor took over drawing and co-writing Harley's book. And she has since become really, really strongly associated with the character. And she's a hugely popular artist. And she has a very cheesecakey style of, of art, but it's a cheesecake that retains the character's personality. Like it's not just boobs that you feel like that's a human being right. who 
has a brain and emotions and her work is very funny and it's very appealing and having her on that book it's it appeals to all readers it appeals to readers who are just looking for cheesecake it appeals to female readers it was a a huge boon for DC in making this character more popular to a wider range of readers and she was on that book for a long time and I think that that is that like that can't be discounted that she had a huge influence there yeah and I can definitely see that especially because um you know I've always thought that one of the real appeals of the character um even even as she's taken on this much more sexualized role is that there is a strong in some of the portrayals of the character there is a strong ethos of her being very sexual on her own terms and her owning this in her own ways, which you, you can then argue quite a lot about because of, you know, um, certainly many of the portrayals of her have not been that. They've been very much for the male gaze, but my understanding is not all. And I know that Margot Robbie talked quite a lot about her understanding of the character in those kind of terms, which I think is, I, I did see the Suicide Squad movie. I'm, I'm not going to go back and do it I'm again. So sorry. There's, well, there's a whole podcast about it. And I'll admit it is, in many ways, a movie I love because it's the only good portrayal I've seen in live action of probably my favorite DC character, Amanda Waller. Um, and yeah. I find her portrayal in this so much better than on Arrow. Um, I will totally come back for the episode on Amanda Waller, by the way, because I love her. Good. Yeah, she's one of my uh, – we're definitely scheduling that at some point soon too. <laughs> um but but yeah, but but it is so disheartening to see this um, story that's supposed to be about her being this terrifyingly sexy, scary, empowered person who also, though, you know, absolutely melts the first time the Joker looks at her. Um, and and the movie does have that entire love story of basically her being this, you know, it, it's on the one hand, they're saying she has this great personality. On the other hand, they're showing us that the Joker completely made her personality. Um not to mention all the thoughts that I know you and I both have about the psychiatrist falling in love with her patient story, which if you want to hear me and Jessica talk about at great length, go listen to our episode on the second season of The Punisher, because there's a lot about it. In, <laughs> it's that exact same story told all over again. I think we just called that character Harley Quinn, because I don't remember what her actual name was. Yeah, no, it's 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 a Harley Quinn story all over again. It's just Marvel's version of it. Um, but yeah, so, so building off of that, though... Um, let me actually just go back to the the evolution of her story. I know that in pop culture, there's now this evolution towards her character having left the Joker and becoming much more involved with a number of other female um, villains slash antiheroes, and 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 that there is on some level a, a romance that is either explicitly or implicitly implied by different DC properties with Poison Ivy. Um, and I've heard that discussed a lot, both in terms of queer coding or queer support or queer baiting in different versions. I did see that the newest TV show um, has a description of her uh, her relationship with her best friend, Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, can, you, can you say more about where that story stands? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is hard to say, honestly, because, yeah, it's sometimes it's queer coding and sometimes it's it's just stated outright and then... Sometimes DC walks it back. I I believe that it is canon in the main DCU mm-hmm. that Harley and Ivy are not just friends. I believe it is canon that they have some kind of open relationship, that they 
are, their relationship has a romantic aspect to it, um, but that they are not necessarily exclusive. And I think that's more so that you can tell stories with each of them on their own easily and not necessarily because they're going to be hooking up with anybody else. Um, but yeah, that is definitely like, that's been a, a slow growth as, you know, befitting something where one of the characters is a plant. Um, <laughs> Very true. Good pun. Since, since the animated series, like it's definitely something that came out of their friendship on that show and then came into the comics. Um, and even like weird things, like I remember there was a flash animated web series called Gotham girls, like right when I was getting into comics in like 2002, 2003, and they were in it. Like the two of them have been paired across media all over the place, but then, yeah, you'll see something like the TV show calling them best friends, which they are, but that's not the only thing that they are. And then there's also stuff like um, they were recently in the Heroes in Crisis uh, crossover series earlier this year, which is this like big, serious thing that was supposed to be exploring mental health, but it was actually like a really bad murder mystery and everybody was out of character and I, I disliked it ex- extremely strongly. But that comic was very much about the relationships between these like parallel friendships between... Harley and Ivy and Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. And they were really like suggestively intense, Mm -hmm. but Harley and Ivy are supposed to be canonically together and Blue Beetle and Booster Gold are not. So (laughs) it, it in a way kind of undercuts Harley and Ivy because it all falls into this plausible deniability bucket. Yeah. I mean, it certainly has, um, and I've read some pieces about this, um, but though again, I'll defer to your greater knowledge on it, the, the perception that I've gotten is that DC is really trying to walk a fine line, and I'm, I'm not praising them for this, of, on the one hand, giving the, 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 the people who want to see that content enough to be, at least to be able to somewhat check that box, while still holding the idea of Harley being someone who can still be an object of male fantasy. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, and that's sort of my whole thing with how DC treats Harley across the board. But yeah, like, is is she paired with Ivy because DC is including queer characters in their universe? Or is she paired with Ivy because that in and of itself is a fantasy for the male gaze? Right. And that depends on the creator. It depends on the it really depends on the artist a lot and it depends on the um the venue that it's being told in i mean again heroes in crisis like harley's whole story arc is grieving because ivy has died spoiler she regrows from a flower so she's fine but one of the covers for that series had ivy lying dead on the floor with her boobs falling out of her costume that was the cover this like eroticized image of a dead woman even though the story was supposed to be this very sympathetic portrayal of mental illness. So there's this real disconnect. And similarly, like they're telling these stories about, again, the fabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn, but also these stories about how she is destroyed by the Joker. They're telling these really dark stories about how she's like a sadistic killer, but she's also in their all ages line, DC superhero girls 
like with these books for seven-year-old girls. Oof. That yeah, it just seems like there's so it, it's so all over the place in the, in terms of that kind of thing. Um, I, I'm also glad you brought up the topic of mental illness because I think that's another area in which I have found the portrayal of Harley Quinn to be kind of all over the place in both some very good and some very negative ways. Um, in some of the iterations I've seen, they're really portraying her as having, you know, very serious PTSD because of her connection to the Joker and because of what Joker did to her, um, which which is a story that I think plays quite well and is quite relatable. There are other versions, and I think the Suicide Squad movie, unfortunately, is very much this, in which the portrayal of mental illness is the tee-hee, I'm so crazy and so sexy and who knows what I'm going to do next, which is infuriating in part because of the misogyny, misogyny of it, but also is just, I feel, so problematic to any actual understanding of mental illness. Um, just this trope of it, it, it's, I don't know if you would agree with this, but it, it's, in some ways it feels like that portrayal of Harley Quinn is the dark fantasy version of the manic pixie dream girl. Um, is that, is that a connection that kind of makes sense? Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really, really good way of describing it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the problem with mental illness in comics is always that they, there's there's no research done and that character i mean so the joker right he's defined by the by being insane the joker is crazy okay what is his diagnosis right like he's spent 80 years in arkham and they don't have a diagnosis for him and obviously like when the character was created in the early 40s fine okay they weren't going to give him one um I understand why, and we wouldn't want to be beholden to what they laid down as his mental illness back then. Like that would, it would probably be like, I don't know, being poor, you right. know, like so many things were, were um, pathologized back then. And now, yeah, it's this sort of vague, this person is crazy. And even when the story is being told sympathetically, it's still, this person is crazy. And so you like, yeah, you, you said that a lot of stories treat Harley as having PTSD, um, but they don't say that that's what she has. They just say that the Joker drove her insane, which is not a helpful way of framing it. Right. And I'm certainly not saying that anybody should be going to a DC comic book for insight into <laughs> their own mental health issues necessarily, but especially because of the the context of the character, like it would be nice if they took it a bit more seriously and understood that there was a responsibility there. Um, if they understood that if they're going to be portraying a character who is an abuse survivor and mentally ill, that they should do so with respect and sensitivity. Um, but I think even the writers who want to do that are hampered by the fact that they're not really supposed to pin down anything concrete because what if the next writer doesn't want to do that? Right. It seems they, like to some extent, want to keep her somewhat of a blank page, both so that different writers can take her in different directions, but also so that more people can relate to her and, and see themselves in something. 
Um, yeah. Well, and also like if you say, okay, well, she has, I am throwing this out. Like, I'm not saying this is what she has in any way, but if they said, for example, that she was schizophrenic, right. then they could get it wrong. They could, they could describe that incorrectly. Whereas if they say she is crazy or there's lots of ways you could do that. Yeah. And they don't actually have to research what schizophrenia is or what sociopathy is or what, you know, any of these things are. And I'll admit, I, I am not one who, I don't think I would want to see a diagnosis for the Joker. Um, it's part of why I have such objections to the new movie, though I have many others and we're not even going to touch that <laughs> topic. Um, but one thing I've always loved is the idea that, that the Joker is kind of the Iago figure in that he, in a world where almost every other Batman villain is pathologized and is given not necessarily a medical diagnosis, but a, here's this thing that happened, that's why they're crazy in this particular way, that one of the things that makes the Joker stand out so much in the, the rogues gallery is that he does not have that. And that, um, it's one thing I loved about the movie The Dark Knight is that he keeps kind of making fun of that and telling these lies about where he comes from. Um, but, but, but certainly in terms of Harley, I agree with you that it's frustrating that they just use a kind of general moniker of general crazy without any explanation because, you know, it, it, I think it just feeds into a lot of really awful stereotypes about what that can look like and in, in everything from the manic pixie thing to the, to the violence and all of that. Um, moving along though a little bit, because I know there's a lot we want to cover. Um, let's get into sort of the character's actions. And I, I want to start just by, and obviously this is one that, that'll kind of have probably a couple different answers over a couple different iterations, but where do you see her in terms of her morality, in terms of her ethics? Is is this a a villain? Is this a an antihero? Is this something kind of that that breaks those boxes a little bit? Where where does Harley fall in terms of her her role? In terms like because obviously she's, a, she's an unrepentant criminal, but she also does a lot of good in some ways and is being portrayed more and more heroically. I mean, I think again, it depends on which Harley and which medium we're talking about. Um, I. I will admit when DC superhero girls first launched a few years back, I was like, what on earth are Harley and Ivy doing in this lineup? They are murderers. Yeah. Like they murder people. And this is for six year old girls. Like I could not. I didn't realize it was supposed to be for that young. Oh yeah. This is like for, for like kindergartners. This is for very, very young kids. Um, And I just, I was like, this is so incongruous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I, I, I guess I've gotten used to her being there. And actually, so the DC superhero girls line actually had a revamp um, this year or maybe last year. So it's a much more classic. They have new designs by Lauren Faust who did the, um, the My Little Pony revamp a few years ago that oh, destroyed nice. the internet. Um, but it's a very good show. And uh, they, and it's more in line with, she did like a Super Best Friends Forever YouTube series um, just featuring Supergirl, Batgirl, and Wonder Woman a few years back that was adorable. So she's sort of building on that. And um, it's incorporated a few more heroes. Harley and Ivy appear in that, but they are villains. Um, they're not, they're not part of the gang in the original DC superhero girls. They were all just kids who attended superhero high together. And so (laughs) Harley, I mean, she's adorable. She, she loves clown stuff. And there is this one comic where they go time traveling in their school bus because of course they do. And Harley takes a dinosaur egg back with her because 
she loves dinosaurs and it breaks the time stream and they have to fix things. But like, Please tell me there's a Ms. Fizzle type character driving that school bus. It's Liberty Bell, actually, okay. which is That's so all. cute. And they call her Ms. Bell. It's, it's so cute. Um, and I, I mean, I love that whole line, um, mostly because like little girls love that whole line yeah. and that makes me so happy. Um, but she is just like this very sweet, innocent, totally harmless character, um, who, you know, makes mistakes because of her enthusiasm, but has absolutely no villainous intent whatsoever. I don't think the Joker even exists in that continuity. And I don't think Batman, like Bruce never shows up. He might be mentioned in passing, mm-hmm. but he doesn't appear. Um, and in the the new version, she, again, she's a villain, but it's, again, it's for very young girls. So it's, she's, she's bad, but like, oh no, the villains are robbing the museum. We have to stop them with a big net and nobody got hurt. Right. It's very, very innocent in that kind of way. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's not pathologized at all. There's no Joker, no, like, I mean, it's just started, but I doubt that they will ever be like, and this is how Harley became who she is. Um, she's just a a naughty clown and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that already, like within what DC is offering, there are. It really depends on the story that you're looking at. I do think that I have my preferences where Harley is concerned, and if there is a story where she is just sadistic or really just just evil without any redeeming qualities, that feels like a misunderstanding of the character to me and a misunderstanding of what's appealing about her. Yeah. Like there was a whole, that's sort of where the, uh, the new 52 suicide squad Harley was. She there's like the whole storyline where she like the Joker like removed his face and she was like stealing his face and killing people and then putting his face on them. And it was all very gory and morbid and just just gross. And I, I mean, I can't say that's not Harley because it was, they published Harley stories like that. But to me, it misses the entire appeal of the character. But at the same time, I don't necessarily want to see her as a hero or all sweetness and light. I think a mischievous villain who has a soft spot for the underdog is a good place to put her. I mean, certainly in the Suicide Squad movie, the way they portray her in this is is of an interesting realm because at first the you know she has no sort of altruistic mo- motives for joining the Suicide Squad. It's purely a um you know I'm going to die if I don't do this, so I have to do it. Um, but they do develop a theme of that she she's of the sort who like you know she doesn't care if Joe on the street dies. But if you're someone she cares about, if you're her family, and that includes the underdog, she'll defend you to the last. Um, and the movie does a terrible job of establishing why she would care about anyone else. But but it's an interesting idea there, at least. <laughs> um, and, and I think that there's some really good points there, especially because one of the things that I liked a lot, especially about the the her her version in the Batman the Animated Series, is I never saw her in that as being that kind of sadistic, evil, you know laughing maniacally at cruelty kind of character. What I got from her more than anything was 
that she is so obsessive in her need for Joker's approval. Um, I, I, if I remember at first, that that's not painted as she's painted as a hench person, but not as a romantic. It's not a romantic connection necessarily. I think that comes later in Batman the Animated Series or later in other things. But but either way, it's it's much more of a like, oh, can I can I do nefarious things enough to earn uh you know approval of Joker, um, which. That has all of its own issues about the link with Joker, and I'm glad we're breaking away from that. But but that portrayal always seemed a lot realer to me and a lot more interesting than just she's just evil for the sake of evil. Um, do you, uh, do, do you have to say, I don't know how recently you've seen the animated series, but does that connect for you in terms of kind of where you... Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also think, like, I agree with you that it she was in more of a henchman role. Like, they were not... I think it's... It, it's a bit of a stretch to say that they were in a romantic relationship because I don't think he cared. Yeah. <laughs> like, not just because, like, I just don't think that that's anything on the Joker's mental map at all. I don't think that it's a disregard of Harley. I just think that that's not who the Joker is as a person. Like, I certainly don't believe that he's capable of love. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, I... I don't think I, I totally agree with you. Like I don't I don't see Hartley as this as somebody who's doing horrible things for the sake of horrible things. I think with Harley it's really important that she have a goal and I think often the approach that DC has taken is first her goal is as you said winning the Joker's approval and then once she breaks free of him, her goal is often helping other women, right. which is a story that I love. I think that's that's wonderful. The problem for me is that DC kind of keeps bouncing back and forth. Yeah. And I know that in reality, like, walking away from abuse is not as easy as like, well, I'm done, and I sang my kiss-off song, and I'm heading out the door with my suitcase and my sassy hat. Like, yep. I know that it's it's more difficult than that, but DC has control of this story, and I don't think that they when they have Harley go back to the Joker, I don't think it's because they want to realistically portray how difficult it is to leave an abuser. I think it's because they think it'll sell more comic books. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's true. And I think that that's like, to me, the most interesting ethically uh, portrayal of her is of that kind of the, the avenging angel of the abused woman. You know, mm-hmm. and I, cause, and that's that's a role that we've seen others play, but I think has not been explored. There's still a lot of room in that to explore, especially because it gets into so many great ethical and and moral questions of what happens when you are doing terrible things to terrible people in order to rescue people from those terrible people. You know, um, like in some ways that it, 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 she can, a character like that can raise a, a lot of the same questions as the Punisher. But but actually in a lot more interesting ways because she, she has a much more focus on why she's doing it. It's much less personal feeling as much as it is you know sort of I've been there, I know I know what it's like. Um, well, they, yeah. The other thing about the, the difference between her and the Punisher too is that um, Frank has pretty much every axis of privilege there is. Yeah. Um, certainly, I would not say that. Frank is not also mentally ill. Like he clearly also has PTSD and numerous other conditions. Um, but he is a straight white dude. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a straight white Christian dude. 
uh, Harley is a bisexual Jewish woman. Yeah. So the, the idea of, it feels different to have someone with all the privilege say, oh no, I was hurt. I'm going to hurt everybody versus somebody who lacks privilege in significant ways. And like Harley still, I mean, she's still white, she's still able-bodied. Um, but somebody who lacks privilege in significant ways saying I was hurt, not, I'm going to hurt everybody, but I'm going to stop bad people from hurting other people. Right. I I mean, in some ways, I don't think they've ever been this explicit with it, but a a way they could lean into that idea of how hard it is to leave the abuser is to have her, you know, basically taking this tack of, you know, I want to protect you. I know that you're never going to leave your abuser, so I'm just going to kill him. Um, which, you know, raises all sorts of moral questions, but you can yeah. very much understand it from that perspective of her, you know, um, and I, I think I may have seen a, a story like this before, um, but, but that idea of, you know, that her trying to help people get away from their abusers, her seeing them go back to their abusers again and again and being so frustrated by that and deciding to just kill the guy. Um, oh, yeah, I, and I, w- I would not at all be surprised if there is one or several Harley stories with exactly that plot line. There is definitely... Um, there are a lot of stories where she protects kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one from the Batman Black and White series that ran in like the early 2000s um, where uh, Harley and Ivy are like out doing a crime, but they're wearing their costumes. And this little girl comes running up to them, thinks they're superheroes because they're wearing costumes. <laughs> and she she asks them for help and they realize that, that th- this guy is trying to kidnap her. And so they they save her and they're like beating up this guy and Batman shows up and he's like, excuse you. And the little girl is like, no, it's okay, Batman. These two Batgirls saved me. (laughs) Like kind of takes a minute to take in the situation. He's like, great job, Batgirls. I'll take the guy and put him in real jail and not whatever you were going to do to him, but you did good. Which they probably take both as flattering and an incredible insult all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a really, really lovely story. And there's also, um, Harley has this really interesting arc in the Injustice. Um, I guess it's the same arc in the video games. I haven't played the games, but I read the Injustice 2 comic, um, which is the tie-in comic to the video game Injustice 2, where um, she, like, it's a very dark universe where Superman has gone evil and taken over, which I hate mm-hmm. everything that I just said there. But... Um, Harley becomes a hero and is working with Batman and she is put into uh, situations where she is repeatedly protecting children. Like I think she has a daughter in that storyline and she's also protecting some of the other heroes kids. And at the end she joins the justice league. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That, but that's she, a stretch. She's kind of earned it. Um, and yeah, like this, this idea that, you know, Harley has done bad things, but when she sees someone else being victimized, she she can't not step in, I think is a really key part of the character. Right. And and it's a sympathy that goes both ways because I also think that one of her best appearances in the animated series was the episode Harley's Holiday, where she gets a clean bill of health from Arkham and she gets out and then everything is going horribly wrong and her like 
she's trying to do the right thing, but it keeps backfiring on her. And she finally almost gives up and is like, okay, then I'm going to return to a life of crime because this isn't working. And Batman shows up and, and helps her and gives her the benefit of the doubt. And at the end, she's like, why did you help me? And he says, because I had a bad day once too. Yeah. Which is one of the best Batman moments ever. But it also, I mean, that's who Harley is like, you you said earlier, what do you think Harley is? And I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, rule on this. But no, actually I am. That's who Harley is. She's someone who understands other people's suffering. Yeah. And, and in a way, and I, one of the next qu- big questions I wanted to get into was Harley and her relationships. And one of the first I want to talk about is, is the relationship between Harley and Batman. Um, and, and I that episode was one I was definitely going to want to talk about because it's such a perfect distillation of the character. Um uh, and, and one of the things that I, I was thinking about, and I think that episode kind of underlines, is you were talking about how Harley is someone who is seen as villainous, but is doing it because of, in a lot of portrayals at least, is to protect the people who she thinks are not being protected by the society. Um, in my mind, I, you know, we often don't talk about the fact that Batman is, by any definition, a straight-up criminal. Um, you know, he's, uh, and his whole justification is, the society I live in is so broken and so corrupt that the the inter, the inter you know the, the systems within the legal system have utterly failed. I have to go outside the legal system to do what's right. And I, the reason I'm bringing that all up is I think, especially as we get into more portrayals of Harley that are about you know her protecting the people she thinks are not being protected. To me, there's very much a continuum then that her and Batman are on, and it just becomes a question of, you know, if you're saying that there's a bright line that that Batman's on one side and Harley's on the other, I'm not sure that that makes sense because if they're both seen in that kind of a way, then for both of them it's about how broken is the society and how far are you willing to go, and and clearly Harley's willing to go a lot further than Batman, and I'm I'm not trying to heroize her. There's obviously a lot of she's willing to break a lot more eggs than Batman is and and do it a lot more for personal gain. But, but I do think there's a connection there in that they both see themselves as people who have been greatly hurt by the normal system and thus have to step outside the system to get any kind of justice, let alone, you know, sanity for their lives. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. I think, um, again, it sort of goes back to um, the same issue with the Punisher. Like, if if Frank has more privilege than Harley, Bruce has insanely more privileged than Harley and like in the real world I would be so much more comfortable with a woman who is like you know what my boyfriend abused me so I kill abusive men than I would with a billionaire who decided that the police department wasn't doing crime fighting right so he would like right poor people killed my parents so I'm gonna kill all poor people um or even just punch him in the face like I just I like but that's why, you know, Batman does not work <laughs> in a real world context for exactly that reason. Um, but no, I agree with you. I think that there, there are lines that Bruce will not cross that are established parts of his character that we know. Like, he does not use guns. He does not kill. He has done both of those things, but we don't count those because those were bad stories. Mm-hmm. But... Theoretically, he does not use guns. He does not kill. Um, by and large, he follows the law when he doesn't have 
do break it for like in order to protect other people like he wouldn't steal right because i mean he doesn't need to but he just he just wouldn't like unless he had to do it to save somebody for whatever reason well, I, I think harley does have lines but they are her lines are much less defined by societal rules like bruce is neutral good harley is chaotic something <laughs> chaotic <laughs> neutral <laughs> She's chaotic, chaotic. It depends on the story. Um, she Maybe she's chaotic good. Maybe she's chaotic neutral. Maybe she's chaotic evil. It really does depend. Um, but she's much less interested in what the laws actually are and more interested in who is hurting who right now. Right. I, I think that's a great explanation. I mean, what I was thinking of as you were saying that is Batman to my and I I keep going back to the dark the dark night the Christopher Nolan movies cuz I think that's my, probably my favorite portrayal of Batman outside of the animated series but in both of those the the impression I get is that Batman is someone who wants to live in a world where he isn't needed you know he wants to eventually get to a point where the police system isn't corrupt and the cop the criminals don't have as much power and he can step back into the shadows and stop doing what he's doing um and we can argue to the cows come home about whether He's actually moving the world further away from that goal or, or closer. But Harley, I, I think, doesn't care about that kind of thing. Harley is – she thinks the whole system is nuts and that the legal system is nuts and that it's never going to be savable. And she doesn't really have as much of a defined criminal philosophy. She just like, – like you said, she has no problem doing what she thinks needs to be done and to help with what anyone else thinks, including the law. Well, yeah. I think also – I mean Batman is defined by being a planner – Right. So, of course, he's looking ahead to what needs to happen tomorrow, what needs to happen in 10 years, like, what is the future, what kind of future am I trying to build here? And Harley exists entirely in the present um, with, you know, obviously the past trauma is there and it's relevant, but I don't, I don't, I can't even envision Harley thinking about the future. And by future, I mean five minutes from now. Like, that's just not. She's walking, talking she it. Is. Yeah, she's she's pure impulsiveness. Um, I almost say she's pure impulse, but that's a different DC character. <laughs> and I would love a team up between the two of them. That would be amazing. That'd be great to see. So let's talk about another one of her relationships. Um, and we we've hinted at it a bunch. Not even hinted at it, but but just to kind of put it all out on the table, let's talk about her relationship with Joker and why it's so problematic. Um, what's your What's what's your read on that that relationship, and especially in in the evolution of how it's been portrayed? Because it, it certainly seems to me that. It was always an unhealthy relationship, but the way it's been portrayed has gotten a lot worse. Yeah, I think it's just as comics, there was, especially in the decade, you know, everybody says, oh, when I started reading comics, they were good, and then they got bad. (laughs) I really do think that between, like, 2003 2013 like that decade really the 2010s were an extremely dark time for comics and they were creators were really invested in or not the 2010s the 2000s creators were really invested in um 
one-upping each other. And like, you'll see a lot of jokes when people talk about it, that era of DC comics that everybody was getting their arm chopped off all the time, but it's true. Mm. You open up at any DC comic and somebody's getting their arm cut off. I mean, I remember around like 2010, I was on the subway reading a Teen Titans graphic novel. And this was after the Teen Titans cartoon had gone off the air and before Teen Titans Go had come back on. But like, it was in there. It was still like in rotation on Cartoon Network. And these are the same characters. And there's this small child sitting next to me. And I had to tilt the comic away so that he wouldn't see that what was happening on the page was that the Clock King had cut a bunch of people's heads in half. And so you could see their skulls split open, all the blood everywhere. And so in essence, I think the Harley and Joker story has not really changed. It's the same story. It's just that uh, Batman the Animated Series, for a number of reasons, one, it was a children's cartoon, so they couldn't go too dark or too explicit, which I... I have heard that's why Mad Love was a comic before it was an episode because they couldn't get it past the censors initially, but I, I couldn't find any I couldn't find any corroboration of that online. That might have just been what my friend said when she lent me the comic when we were seventeen. <laughs> um, but uh it definitely has some like saucy jokes in there, like there's this there's this great moment where Harley's wearing a negligee and she says Come on, Puddin, don't you want to rev up your Harley? And it's 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 hilarious. Yeah. Like it's a, a sex joke with Harley, but she's in control of it. And anyway, um I think that the story itself between the two of them has not in essence changed. It's just that we went through a period where comics were showing how very dark they could be. Right. Just for the sake of being dark. And so the story, even if you address it obliquely, is is still horrifying. Yeah. It's just that the later writers kind of took our faces and rubbed it in the story the way you do when, like, a dog has an accident on the floor and you're like, see, don't ever do that again, except it wasn't our fault and they were still rubbing our faces in it. Yeah. Well, and I guess – and. Maybe what I've seen is more just from the TV show and the movies, and, you, and, and maybe you can tell me if this doesn't happen in, in the evolution of the comics. But certainly, like, when I watch Batman the Animated Series, I think it would be very difficult for anyone to walk away from viewing Joker and Harley in that context as relationship goals. Um, then, you know, flash, fa- flash forward to the, the video games and then the movie Suicide Squad – and you now have not only Harley being much more sexualized, but her relationship with Joker being much more sexualized in a much more kind of darkly erotic BDSM, you know, it's fucked up, but that's because you don't understand their nature of love kind of a way. Um, and certainly that was about when I started – all of the relationship goals kind of memes that I saw were always either images from the video games or late, or more recently from the movie. Um and so I guess on screen, at least, it did seem like there was a marked change between the viewers say, between the, the, the creators saying, this is really fucked up and we're going to uh, rub your faces in it, towards more of, this is really fucked up and we're going to show you that maybe it's kind of something fun and cool. Um, I'm kind of wondering if either, A, you, you don't see that in the on-screen versions, or if, if did, that, did that kind of the evolution happen in the comics as well, or is it, is it just gone a different direction? Yeah, no, I don't think it's just the on-screen versions. I think it's just that um, 
like I said, millions more people are familiar with the on-screen version. So those are the ones that are going to be more popular. But, you know, even a decade ago, I was seeing fights on the internet every February because people would start their, okay, who are your favorite couples in comics? And somebody would throw out Joker and Harley and there would be fights because some people are like, yeah, they should be on the list of best couples in comics. And some people would say, no, they absolutely shouldn't. And some of the people who wanted them on there wanted them there because they were iconic. Mm -hmm. And some people wanted them there because they were, you know, relationship goals, I guess, in whatever way. Um, And there was always, always pushback um, against the idea that this was anything to be idealized or romanticized. Um, And I do think, I don't necessarily think that DC is super interested in selling us the two of them as an aspirational love story. Mm. I I can't speak to the Suicide Squad movie, right. but I don't I, that's not something that I see in the comics. But So, like, for example, one of the Black Label comics that's coming out now, and Black Label is the sort of R-rated adults-only imprint that DC started either this year or last year. Um, And these are supposed to be, like, kind of prestige format, um, more, I guess, highbrow takes on the characters, and they have a really uh, uh, highly pedigreed uh, lineup of creators. So... Harley and the Joker are appearing in two comics right now. One is called uh, Joker Harley Criminal Sanity. And it's like a sort of Silence of the Lambs thing where she's a forensic psychiatrist and he's a serial killer and she's trying to catch him. But the other one is called Harleen and it's her origin story. Um, So it's Harley as a psychiatrist starting to work at Arkham and gradually falling into the Joker's trap. Right. It is it is a beautiful comic. It's really well written. It's really well drawn. Um I can't pronounce the creator's name for which I apologize, but it is a, a writer artist. Like he's he's doing the whole thing. Um it's like Stepion I, I I can't pronounce it. I if you're listening, I'm very sorry that I can't pronounce your name, sir. It's a beautiful comic. But Though if you are listening, please write in because we're thrilled to have you on our listenership. <laughs> And you want to, if you can want to be our next guest, we'll get you on. Anyway, go on. But at the same time, I don't necessarily understand why we need to give this story that kind of real estate. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the value in telling the story again of how a woman met a man and he broke her and then she was broken? Because that's what this story is. And there was, um, so, like, the month before this story came out, like, before the first issue came out, um, there was an interview with the creator in the back of uh, pretty much every comic that DC was putting out, um, like, the prior month. And in it, he said that um, Harleen uh, is basically like a romance novel, except it has the logical ending and not the idealized one. Right. And I was like, wow, you have never read a romance novel ever in your whole entire life. 
but sort of the premise there. And I, I, I'm assuming that he meant specifically like that beauty and the beast story where like she thinks she can change him with her love. Right. Um, I think that that's way less prevalent than men think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, it sort of goes back to the whole, why is she falling for that guy who sucks and not me who is great? Right. Like that's not a, that's not really a thing that women are super in like, yeah, I guess there are women who fall in love with serial killers, but it's not common. And most women are not into it. Um, but sort of the idea that this story is the logical ending and romance novels where a woman finds happiness in a genre that is almost entirely created by and for women and is the most, the highest selling genre in publishing um, is idealized and illogical. Oh, that, that quote really bothered me. Yeah, no, it sounds incredibly misogynistic and, and just wrong. I think it was just, it was, it was not well thought out at all. Um, but yeah, it's this, it's not that the relationship between the Joker and Harley is being romanticized by DC, but it is being fetishized. I can see that. Like their love is not fetishized, but his abuse of her is. I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and that, that that that's really the heart of my question. Because I I'm I was going to say I wish you'd seen Suicide Squad so we could talk about it, but I wouldn't wish that on anyone, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I I do think, and I'm listeners, if you've seen Suicide Squad the movie um, or the video games, please write in and tell me if you disagree with me. I do think that there at least they make a departure, and that in the making of that movie they are very intentionally trying to hold it up. Again, it's that kind of walking the line. Like, they show it as abusive and crazy enough that some people will go, oh, that's so abusive. But they're very clearly romanticizing it and sexualizing it. Um, like, the her creation story is shown as this incredibly romantic, he is freeing her from the mental bonds of society. And he is, mm. you know, tearing away the chains that hold her in place. And, and the scene of her sort of coming up from the, the chemical bath that he throws her into is just done in this almost like dirty dancing, like lifting her up kind of a way. Um, and to the point where it makes me wonder, and I remember I, th- I, I did a lot of reading and I, and I saw a lot of other theories about this at the time, you know, that movie was coming out really riding the crest of, you know, Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey and a lot of these other fictions that were also, you know, really romanticizing very abusive relationships um, and ones that were were not actually in any way indicative because I'm not trying to by any means say that like BDSM is unhealthy. I think most people in those communities even would say that th- those movies are incredibly unhealthy versions of, of that kind of dynamic. Um, and so I, I, I do think that the, the makers of the suicide movie, especially were trying to have, they, they were trying to push some of that relationship goals idea. Um, but I'm, I, from what you're, I'm, I'm hearing from you, it does sound like that's a somewhat isolated incident in, in the way Harley is portrayed, which, which, which is really refreshing to hear, um, that it's not yeah, something the I comics mean, really dived hard into. Again, like I, I sort of, as I, I was, I was researching this article that I was working on, I dipped into what was available right now, like among the Harley comics right now. So I certainly am not going to say that like that the movie is alone in that portrayal and that the comics do not ever romanticize the relationship. Right. But that to me feels more like something I would have seen 
circa Gotham City Sirens, which would have been like 2009. Yeah. And not necessarily something that I would expect to see now because, and I think that's largely because Harley for comic book readers is very much her own character. Now she is a bigger name than the Joker. She sells more than the Joker and she is in more comics than the Joker. So it, they're still going to tell her origin story over and over again because they do that with every character. Mm-hmm. It's just that none of the other marquee characters have abuse in their backstories. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to emphasize the actual relationship between them in that way because why bother? They don't, they don't need to have him there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I've certainly heard that um, I've been paying a lot of attention to the um, stories about the upcoming Birds of Prey movie. And, and one of the stories that I'm hearing quite a bit, and again, you know, the stories that come out of Hollywood, it's always a question about how much is this real and how much of this is studio spin. But certainly the portrayal that I've often heard is that um, Margot Robbie has much more control over this this version of the movie um, and that she was not thrilled with her, her, the – the way her and the Joker were Harley and the Joker were portrayed in in the first movie, but that in this one we are she she really wants to see this movie follow the direction the comics have gone and make it much more about clearly her and the Joker were a bad idea and a bad relationship, and now this movie is about her exploring her freedom after that. Um, which yeah, yeah, that's absolutely the impression that I've gotten from everything I've heard as well. I mean, from. From all the stories coming out of the filming of Suicide Squad, it sounds like nobody had a good time on that set. Yeah. Um, and nobody was thrilled with the results. Um, but yeah, I believe she's executive producing the current one. And it was, it was, even when they first started talking about this movie, it was, oh yeah, Margot Robbie wants to make a Harley Quinn movie. Oh, Margot Robbie wants to make Birds of Prey. Oh, I guess it's happening now. Like it really seems not just, that she has more control, but like it probably would not have happened if she had not pushed for it really strongly. So right. like, I really hope it's good. Cause I also, I love the birds of prey. This is a different lineup than we're used to, but like every single character that they've pulled into this movie, I love all of them. I love many, like the actresses who are in this movie, who I'm familiar with their work. I love them. Like I, I really hope it's good. Right. Well, and in some ways, that would be kind of an incredible story to be able to have of, you know, it, it again, we're projecting a lot, but if my understanding is correct of, you know, Margot Robbie playing the character in the, in the way that that, that that first movie called for, which was kind of, her acting was amazing, her portrayal was really powerful, but was also very sexualized in ways that, that I understand she was not thrilled with, but are probably a big part of how that character became so popular. Um, she's a very attractive person in that movie. Um and and so kind, I would kind of love if the end result of the story is that she kind of leans into that male gaze version of the character, winds up getting enough you know studio power that now she can take the character in 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 uh, a direction that's much more true to the writing and, and much more true to what she wants to play. Um, yeah, it's, I was going to say it's a very Harley way of doing things, but it's actually a very Catwoman way of doing things. Mm. But that's okay; they're friends. So maybe <laughs> she picks something up. That, that's actually one more of the relationships I wanted to explore, and then we're going to start wrapping up pretty soon, is you kept talking about how Harley has become so incredibly popular, and, and you mentioned her in regard to a lot of other characters. 
you didn't say anything in regard to Catwoman, but it does certainly seem like Catwoman is getting a lot less attention as well. And I'm wondering, do you think it's fair to say, like, Catwoman certainly always had a similar, is she a villain, is she a hero, is she an anti-hero? You know, she's a bad girl and that's very sexualized, um, you know, and her flirtations with Batman and the like. Do you think it's fair to say that Harley has started to take on a kind of a, a role in the canon similar to what Catwoman uh, either maybe still plays or had played? Yeah, I mean, I think she's absolutely, at least in terms of the comics, comparable in prominence to Catwoman, no question. Um, and increasingly so in sort of the multimedia aspects. I th- it's also worth pointing out that Catwoman hasn't appeared in not a comic in a long time. Yeah, like the, the, the Anne Hathaway, Christopher Nolan, yeah. I think was the last time. And that was, that was years and years ago. Um, I, she's also on um, Gotham. Yeah, Serena but, Kyle becoming Catwoman appears in Gotham, but... Yeah, but I, I mean, who watches Gotham, honestly? <laughs> like, that was not... I did, but like, not many people did. <laughs> No, it lasted a long time, and it was really hard to find people who were actually watching it. It was very mysterious. Um, but also, she was like a 12-year-old. Yeah. So, like, they didn't really go for the, oh, I'm so slinky, I'm a cat, and I'm here to have sex with you, which, like, thank God, because she was 12. Um, but yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting to sort of revisit that question after the because she's going to be in a movie now too. Zoe Kravitz is playing Catwoman in, I think it's the Batman, the, the, um, the, the Robert Patterson one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that'll be, that'll be an interesting dynamic. Interesting. Um, so we'll, you know, maybe Catwoman will kind of rise in prominence and certainly like she has her own comic right now. Right. And, Tom King has used her very extensively in his Batman run. Um, so she does usually appear in uh, guaranteed at least one, but usually at least two or three comics a month these days. So it's not like she's she's a rare sighting. Right. Um, well, and that would be nice, too, because... You know, we've talked a lot about um, Harley's relationship to the Joker and a little bit about her relationship with Bruce and with Batman. But certainly the more I think about it, the more I think that, like, I would really love to see a Harley that's not only free of the Joker, but is free of Batman as well. Because, you know, mm-hmm. especially in her origins, but especially in a lot of the portrayals, she's kind of this character who's getting bounced. She, she's kind of this pawn in between Batman and the Joker. Um, and so seeing her, seeing Catwoman continue to be that kind of sexual... Um, uh, you know, hero, anti-hero foil to Batman and Harley getting to do stuff that is just separate from both Batman and Joker. That that seems like a really good direction for that character. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily um, describe Catwoman that way. Um, I don't think... I'm not 100% in love with Tom King's storyline, but he's very much telling... Uh, it seems to be attempting to tell like an epic love story with them. It's not like she's not really sexualized Mm. aggressively. And she, she has her own comic where she has left Gotham and she is doing her own thing. 
and her, you know, facing off like the main villain she's facing off against is a rich old woman. Now, how long that will last, who knows? She's going to end up back in Gotham. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, um, Catwoman is a Batman supporting character, whether she's a villain or an anti-hero. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. I think that, you know, tons of characters are at the end of the day are supporting characters and that's fine. Like Jimmy Olsen is a Superman supporting character. Cool. That's where he, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, and I don't think that it precludes Selena being a three dimensional and complex character who gets to carry her own stories. Um, but I think actually Harley to a certain extent, because she has so many comics is breaking away from being a Batman supporting character. I mean, she's, she's certainly not a Batman character in the movies at all because he's not in those movies. And and to be very clear, I, as I said at the beginning, I'm very much a filthy casual here. My only (laughs) real exposure to the, the Catwoman character is in the movies and on screen where I think you don't ever see her outside of that role that I described in regard to Batman but it's really, I appreciate you kind of filling that in and correcting me there that it sounds like in the comics, she really has gotten to evolve in a lot of ways that that has not happened on screen. Um, yeah. And like one of the things that I really, I really appreciate about things like um, the Gotham Girls Flash animation series and Gotham City Sirens and to a certain extent Birds of Prey is that it does, it is predicated on the idea of all these female characters are hanging out together. So you'll have Harley and Ivy and Catwoman and sometimes Batgirl and sometimes they'll throw in another couple of characters um, and they are all initially Batman supporting characters but this is about their own stories and their own relationships with each other that don't have to do with him. I don't necessarily think that DC always like that's what they are theoretically. Mm -hmm. Often in actual fact it's just a chance to draw three pairs of boobs and not just one. Yeah. <laughs> but theoretically, these are stories about women that are not defined by Batman being there, putting them in jail. Right. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely sounds powerful. And I can see how there's still always that push pull of how much of this is male gaze versus how much of this is female empowerment and, and, and all the gray area in between those two. Well, DC wants all those audiences. Like they want, to they want the guys who are buying the comic because it has hot chicks in it to buy the comic and they also want women who want a story of empowerment and female friendship to buy the comic and it's also why they have you know a harley for six-year-old girls and a harley multiple harleys in r-rated super gory serial killer stories because they want all those audiences and in a lot of i don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing to have different versions of a character for different markets. Like you have Batman starring in I can read books and you have (laughs) Batman also starring in super gory R rated serial killer comics. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But what you don't have are Batman stories that are solely about like reveling in the abuse in his history or Batman stories that exist only so that people can jerk off to them. Mm. And I'm not saying we need those, but that's, that's the discrepancy. Like 
you have all these different Batmans, but they all still respect Batman as a character. And that's not the case with all the different Harleys. Well, and it, it, it underlines a point I've often made, which is that I, when we get into discussions of these big companies and the sort of the directions they seem to be taking in terms of like questions of sexism or racism or things like that, most of the time it seems like it's not that that DC has this strong that they want either the you know yay women as sex objects or yay women empowerment. It, they just want to make money, and that's what they're selling. Mm-hmm. And that's but that's why it's good that we're critiquing it and, and talking about those terms. Yeah, and what they used to do was just put a really sleazy cover on a female-led story and try to get everybody to buy that one thing, and it didn't work mm-hmm. um, because half the readers didn't like the cover and half the readers didn't like the story. So now they just do two different comics. Right. So I, I, we want to wrap up pretty quick. Uh, I want to get to this uh, Little Mermaid too, but yeah. let me let me just, uh, and this last question then: what What's your hope for the future with Harley, especially as she is getting her own? The, the Suicide, uh, the, the Birds of Prey movie's coming out. She's getting her own TV show coming out pretty soon that's animated. Um, what what would you really like to see happen with Harley, both on uh, on print and on screen? Um, yeah, I, I hope the movie is good. I want to see um, a... It would only be our second successful female-led superhero movie um, because uh, Elektra and Catwoman and Supergirl were all bombs. Mm-hmm. Um we have Captain Marvel, but it would be really nice to have a second one. Um, yeah. I I hope it's good. I hope that if it is good, that they get to make more. Um, and I hope that it encourages Marvel and DC to make more female-led stories. Um, I I do, I, you know, I want the show to be good. Um, with all of the DC Universe stuff, I'm like, don't have too many good shows because they don't have to get the streaming service. Yeah, I but, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> right? But, like, if it has to exist, I would like for it to be good. Um, and like I said, you know, I'm fine with there being a wide range of Harleys, with there being Harleys who are just, like, sweet, heroic kids characters and Harleys who are more complicated than that or more violent than that for older audiences. And then Harleys who are right in the middle. I thought that um, Breaking Glass, the YA graphic novel that I mentioned at the beginning of this was, it it was honestly one of my favorite books I've read all year. I thought it was phenomenal. Mm. Um, I'm fine with there being Harleys for all these different audiences. I just want those Harleys to be treated with respect because this character is so important to so many people because they relate to what she's been through. And I guess the the shorter answer to your question that I've been answering for 10 minutes is that I want the people who look at Harley and see themselves to see themselves in stories that they feel respected by. Yeah, I think that's a great way to phrase it. Um, I'm going to close with an, uh, a different question on a completely different subject, but just because the woman I'm dying to ask you, and you kept talking about wanting to see more female-led uh, media, how are we feeling about the Scarlett Johansson Black Widow movie? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in 30 seconds, I mean, I'm sure you don't have complicated feelings about that one. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, w- I want more female-led movies. I feel, honestly, it, it, this may be a weird comparison, but I feel about it kind of the way I felt about Brave, the Pixar movie when that came out, mm. when it finally dropped and it was it was just fine. Like, I love Merida. Merida is basically what would happen if Pixar looked at me and were like, we're going to animate her. Like, 
literally when that movie came out, people were like, why, why did they make a movie about you? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I, I think this means the next time I have you on, you have to do the whole podcast in a Scottish accent. Oh, I'm so sorry, future listeners. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But anyway, go um, on. I, I'll just be in character as Scrooge McDuck. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, I love I I love Meredith. The movie itself was just fine. Yeah. But because Pixar had waited ten movies to finally tell a story about a girl, it had to be all things to all people, and it had to be the greatest movie of all time. And that's that's too much pressure. And I didn't feel bad for them because they'd waited forever. Yeah. And similarly with Black Widow, we should have had a Black Widow movie greenlit as soon as the first showing of Avengers ended because she was amazing in that movie. And people came out of that just loving that character and they didn't bother to do it. And in the interim, they, she was wonderful in that movie. She was wonderful in the winter soldier. The movies treated her like crap in every single appearance after that. And then they killed her off in favor of a nothing character that nobody cares about. Mm -hmm. Um, because he had kids and she was infertile. So he's She's not a real woman, clearly, and all the bullshit around that. Yeah. And when you add on to that, the fact that Scarlett Johansson does not seem to be able to open her mouth anymore without putting her foot in it and just saying the most offensive things and taking the most offensive roles and then getting defensive when people call her on it. Like, I'm not going to see it. I I'm not supporting her as an actress because the things that she's said are too hateful and I have no interest in this story anymore, even though I really like Natasha as a character in the movies and the comics. Um, And I, I understand why they've greenlit this because she is an A-list actress and the character is already established, but Marvel has a huge stable of other female characters that they could be turning to who don't have all this baggage. And I would much rather have, Oh, I don't know, 10 movies about them to maybe balance out all the ones about dudes that we're still getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I heard at one point a rumor. I don't think there's any possibility it's true, but of doing a movie set in Wakanda, but with Shuri as the star. And I was just like that. That'd be amazing. I'd love to see that. Um, I would love and I, that. Yeah, I, I, I have that kind of similar set of feelings. And I'm, I'm still back and forth and not sure if I'm going to see it because there's a part of me that doesn't want there to be any chance of saying, you know, the woman-led movie didn't do well, so we shouldn't do more. But also, yeah, I, I hate the idea of giving money to, to, to support Scarlett Johansson as an actress in these and, and all the other stuff you talked about. So, yeah, it's what we, we actually just did an episode. Our last episode was on problematic favorites, and this question came up. And, and so when I had you here, I wanted to make sure we asked about it because I think it's it's very very loosely related to Harley but tied in all the other questions we're talking about, about female-led media and how that's important to support and, and where the limits of that are. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, give us just a quick um, – for people who are hearing you for the first time or just want to know more, how do we – uh, how can our listeners, uh, uh, I know you do a podcast, um, uh, you also do a lot of writing. How can people find uh, find you and follow you and, and hear more of your thoughts on these things? Uh, yeah, so um, I do have a podcast. Um, it is intermittently updated, <laughs> uh, but it is called Flights and Tights, a Superman movie podcast. And my co-host and I have been watching all of the Superman movies and talking about how very disappointed we usually are because we love Superman very much and... Most of the movies are very bad. Um, I 
write for bookriot.com, um, mostly about comics, but also about other stuff. So you can find me there. And I'm on Twitter at Jess underscore Plumber, um, where I tweet intermittently also about comics and as alluded to before, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't yet know what the ethics of uh, DuckTales is yet, but if we find that <laughs> episode, we will have you on for that episode at some point. Um, well, thank you again the so much for being on. Watch um, the new show. Say again? The ethics are that you should watch the new show. That's the ethical choice. I, that's what I keep hearing. That's what I keep... Where is it? Is it available on Netflix? Um, maybe the first season is. Okay. Uh, it's on... You can watch it on, um, like, GoDisney.com or whatever. They're, they have, like, a, a an actual website where you can okay. stream well, I, their shows. I am committed to the new Disney streaming service, so I'll definitely be able to watch oh, it there. Oh, yeah. It'll be, it'll be on Disney+. Plus. I have a whole bunch of old Star Wars episodes to um, go through and then talk to, <laughs> to Becky Allen about, but after that, we'll get you on for DuckTales. <laughs> so, again, and to all our listeners, thank you all so much uh, for, for sticking with us. Um, what are your thoughts? As we both referenced, Harley is an incredibly ubiquitous character today, and one that a lot of people have a lot of opinions on. What What are yours? Where do you agree with one or both of us, or disagree with one or both of us? Um, let us know. There's a lot of great ways to contact us. The easiest is probably on um, Facebook or Twitter. You can find us on both of those at Superhero Ethics. Um, uh, and in Facebook especially, we have a page. We also have a group. The group is better for discussions. Uh, you have to uh, click on Ask to be part of the group. I'll immediately approve you, though. And we've been having some great discussions about the episodes. Would love to hear your thoughts there or to tweet at us. Um, you can also email us at superheroethics at gmail.com um, or leave comments on the website directly. Um, for anyone who wants to support the podcast, we haven't talked about this in a bit, but I wanted to remind people we do have a Patreon. Um, it's a great way to help you know show your support for what we do, help uh, support, uh, you know, uh, among other things, people have uh, noticed that our our sound quality is pretty good in large part due to Jacob being our editor uh, so if this episode is not as good that's entirely my fault but we would love to upgrade our microphones and some stuff like that Patreon's a great way to support us that way um, so on behalf of myself and uh, Jessica again thank you so much uh, to all your listeners thank you for being a part of this and have a great day bye